it has begun. <laughs> the stream of a lifetime. The podcast of the generations. <laughs> I guess it is a podcast. A podcast. I mean, you're going to stream it on Spotify and on iTunes and, and on Google Podcasts. Technically, we're streaming to each other. We are because it's, this is the first time. It's kind of a stream of consciousness. <laughs> we are doing our first ever remote location, you know, podcast because we didn't feel like seeing each other's faces. Yeah. Also, we're adults with like lives and shit. <laughs> yeah, that too. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that one instead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, welcome, free everybody. me from my wage slave hell. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome everybody back to the Bad RNG podcast. I know it's been a while. Yes, it's I, been it, quite a while. We have had some like it has been spectacularly bad with our luck with podcasts lately. Four. What he's trying to say is that we kind of published our last three episodes to an alternate dimension. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Sorry, guys. But I'll have to go to that dimension to hear. What the, I don't even remember what the fuck we talked about. Uh, I well, don't know. We're making excuses for the last food few episodes not existing. Yeah, there was food. What was the other one? Um, food, and then we were talking about like influencers, food fandom, and foot fetishes. Yeah, I mean, food fandom and foot fetishes. It was the the three F's. <laughs> foot fetishini. <laughs> but this episode actually is really cool. We came up with it last minute, sort of. Except it's been like two weeks since we talked about it, but games of the decade. Since we're coming to the end of the year and the end of the decade, we thought, you know, why don't we talk about the games that we found as like the most influential to us and even just in general to the gaming sphere over the last 10 years. And it, it definitely seems appropriate this time of year because as of the time of this recording, there is less than a week and a half left in the 20 teens. Like this we're, is we're, correct. we're getting close to the end of like a full decade. And so there's a lot to look back on. There sure there's, is. There's, there's a lot to appreciate. Perhaps even the end of the world. Here's hoping. Here's anyway. to hoping. <laughs> um, but I, I'm just kind of curious. How do you guys want to start it? Do you want to start it on our games, or would you rather talk about the influential games, like to the gaming scene first? Well, well you know, why don't we uh, just kind of opening statements here about like what we learned uh, getting ready for this episode? Okay. Okay, that's, that seems like a good place to start. Yeah, that's a, that's um, a real good place to start. I like it. No, I in my. Uh... In my research, I guess you would call it, I looked more into, or I, I gave more thought to, like, the influence side of things. And uh, I, I came up with uh, a one discussion point, and that's there, there are, th I see three games that are, like, the most influential as far as how much they impacted the terms of the discourse around video games. Whether that's the way they're reviewed, perceived by like the public at large, or like how what else it is they help to support, and the three games that come to mind for me are uh, Minecraft, which you could make an argument that it single-handedly built YouTube, um, uh, Dark Souls, which has become a meme at this point. Everything is the Dark Souls of something. 
Um, and uh, Fortnite. Fortnite brought video games to, like, daytime television, which is very, very strange to me, but, you know, it's a weird decade. Yo, did you see those Puma gaming socks? Those look pretty fucking dope. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, bow, 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 so good. But for me, it's it's about a process of normalization. Like, for a long time, video games, it wasn't really, like, a popular hobby. It was, like, stamp collecting or coin collecting. And, like, just the fact that there's, like, marketed gear that doesn't have anything to do with games marketed towards gamers kind of makes me happy from, like, it's okay now kind of sense. You know what I mean? Suffice to say, gaming is mainstream culture. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Gaming and comic books is mainstream culture. Like yeah. even even grandma watches Marvel and you know plays League of Legends. Uh, she but plays Skyrim. Even grandma pays twenty dollars to see her KDR. I mean, <laughs> but that's that's basically where I where I came with it is that as far as like influence goes and how games are perceived, those three were were the biggest in in the decade. So you can make a couple of different arguments, but I, that's that's where we're, I'm starting. I took a lot of time to think about it, like just the decade as a whole, just thinking about what games came out, you know, what happened over the past 10 years, how much has the landscape changed with, you know, console iterations and all these different things that have happened over the past 10 years. And the thing I realized is that um, there's no debating this. Skyrim is the game of the decade because it's been coming out over and over again for the entire decade. but <laughs> Game no. of the decade, 10 years running. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, seriously, when I, I did think about that a lot, but that, one of the things I've thought about pretty extensively is how much like the gaming world has kind of changed in the way we, in a lot of ways, the way we consume games with, you know... Sometimes in in a weird way, bringing back something that's old and making it new again. Like I remember the Sega Channel as a kid with the monthly subscription. You had so many games, and then they would switch out every month. And now you're seeing PlayStation Now. You have Xbox Live Game Pass. You have Google Stadia that's out now. Which I'll give a little update. I I was sent a Google Stadia, and here's my review of it. It fucking sucks. But anyway. The um. This is the end of the review. That's the end of the review. It stinks. <laughs> yeah, like, I, you know what? Video games really needed was buffering. Yes, like a <laughs> and, lot and, more and of a it. lot of like, latency. Like now, granted, I didn't deal with a lot of latency because I have a a nice connection. But when you're flex, when, but okay. when you're in it, when you're in a situation where, say, you're on Wi-Fi, you're you're immediately struggling. Like once I think they figure out how to make it all work, and I think the way they're doing it with slowly getting people in and slowly implementing it they have a better chance of making it right but right now it's a really shitty thing and they need they, there's a lot of work that needs to go into it but anyway i yeah. think about I think that the technology is interesting uh i i just have like absolutely no interest in using it personally yeah like i i don't i don't see how it could benefit me yeah, I agree yeah with i'm kind of with you on that one I, i'm i'm in the same camp like if it wasn't sent i never would have i never would have touched it but um the I think about that now we're having a lot of iterations of consoles that that's been a thing in the last decade more than it's ever been with 
you know, I know they did like, I re- there was the PS one, and then there was I think it what was it called the PSX? Was that the tiny one? Yeah, so, um, actually, it was no, a little was bit of a misnomer. Mini. The original was the place the, the PSX. Yeah, the but, original. Uh, was it the turns PSX. out that was kind of like just like that's what people said, but it wasn't actually that. Okay. The P- the PSX was kind of like a it, a little bit different. I don't know if it was like a prototype or like one of those like hotel iterations of a console, but but they did miniaturize it. Yeah. Like it, this has been a decade where like you could almost compare it more to those like second runs where they do like a slim version, but like there is more hardware, but it kind of doesn't matter that much. Like we're, I think we're just at the end of like generations as we know them, or if. If we still have generations, they're not going to be defined by like a step up in in hardware that way. Yeah, I think especially after the Game Awards passed and we saw the the trailer for the Xbox Series X, and they're making it clear that like there's most likely going to be different versions of it at launch. Like it's not going to just be here's the Xbox X or whatever. You, the naming conventions of Microsoft consoles have never made sense. <laughs> But in that sense, like, I think that's kind like, of gone away. Is it going to be like Pokemon, where you can only play some games on one version and other games on the other version? Well, that... the, one basically thing everybody say, is a PC gamer now. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it's basically just a computer. But the thing that I, th- I will say, one thing that I did like about that announcement was that they brought out that, you know, you'll be able to play your Xbox 360 games, play your Xbox One games, because I remember that being a big deal in the last generation was backwards compatibility was a big a big talking point for a lot of people it's nice to see that it's back i mean it shouldn't be something that i have to praise these companies for it should be there anyway but needless to say but we'll see and and see that's where i think nintendo is genius because like they got ahead of the whole backwards compatibility thing because they've never by, done it <laughs> by changing the format with every console. Yeah. You couldn't fit the cartridges from the previous console into the new one. So they just they got ahead of that whole issue like immediately. <laughs> That's true. Going um, as, like even up until the Switch, like some like Game Boy games are compatible. There's a lot of backwards compatibility with the Game Boys from my understanding. Yeah. At least until you get up to a certain point. But I think it's like what the DS. I mean, even started, as like, far the as like flash discs. Well, it's crazy. But they they changed the format the with Super every Game console. Boy. Oh, even, I loved the Super Game. Boy. Even the Super Game Boy, like the Super Game Boy Two, has had or the Super Game Boy had limitations compared to the Super Game Boy Two. Like it's crazy the stuff that Nintendo did. But oh, it was nuts. But then um, we're not. Yeah, that's kind of off topic. It's a little wild they can't sell like all their games on the Switch uh, because they've done it before. Yes, virtual console on other consoles. Like it exists. What's what's the issue? I don't know. Get on it. Email me back, Nintendo. Like, let me know. Let me hit me up in the chat. Yeah, send us a message on Twitter. Yeah, can thing, I get a few hallelujahs in the chat? <laughs> the thing I have really taken away from this from this decade though was I will say probably the most controversial de- generation for a number of reasons um in terms of like just the gaming world gaming culture how much it's changed um how much the practices of these companies have changed but it was also easily 
the greatest time we've ever seen, at least in my opinion, for gaming. Like, the amount of choice you had, the amount of different types of games, and the quality of these games were phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I, I, I can't deny that. Like, I'm not sitting here saying every AAA game was great because there's a lot of just straight crap AAA <laughs> games, but there's a lot of indie games. You know, I feel like indie games made a huge statement in this in this decade, like more than any other decade before it. This was the one where they kind of made their stamp and said, you know, we are just as big of a part of the gaming world as the AAA titles. I think that's yeah. my biggest t- takeaway from the je- from this decade. And I think yeah, that's I gonna, gotta agree. I think that's gonna come through clearly in uh, in our personal top games of the decade. I yeah. think I, I think the indie games that. do actually like you know. I don't want to be a guy who, like a grandpa who's like the old days, but like the spirit of at least what feels like a video game to me, like the torch is solely being carried by indie games. Like, I, I don't want to, like Frank said, you know, like I don't just want to like trash on AAA games, even though they're garbage, but like, you know, it doesn't feel the same. I think there's a movement towards like service and like that's, there are inherently some problems, but mostly I just feel like, games are kind of a chore when they're done like that and i don't know i I like the idea of a work and indie games are really getting it done in that regard yeah there's not there's not as many um triple a games to choose from that like it used to be where you were really excited about a triple a game to come out because they were always so good but we've gotten to this point now where you almost have to like pick and choose them because there's so many that are just horrible and then there's a few that stick out here you're like i really enjoyed this the the main problem i have with triple a games just like in general is that a lot of them seem to feel like really overproduced does that make sense like it's it's like eating like a big slice of grocery store cheesecake like it's just big and dense and like it's sweet but like it's not that good for like how much of a biological and financial commitment you've made to this <laughs> making a like, uh making an appointment for the bathroom for the rest of the day yeah yeah and i mean it's in the same places like you know the like all the shitty processed food like the other desserts so like you know i don't think it's that out of place even though it is cheesecake yeah i, but I, I like me a good cheesecake i like me a good cheesecake yeah it's good being i even like board. me like an all right cheesecake but you know i think like if i'm gonna cheesecake. pay the price then yeah. then i it's got it better it be worth be it good and yeah. if it's like a grocery store cheesecake the the bite's not gonna or the slice isn't gonna be that big no they're usually i'm gonna, I'm gonna meet that shit out but that's uh, that's kind of that's a good analogy like that's kind of how it feels it's just overproduced there's too much that goes into it yeah and well it's, it's spread out in so many ways too because it's not just like the triple a games right like uh, and I, I think frank started to touch on this uh so while i was going through the games of, of each year I, I went year by year and i looked through the entire list um and, and then i i got like things for each year and i have actually come up with a solid five right uh, but to, to touch on Frank's point, uh, something that really jumped out at me in 2014, the highest grossing game, according to Wikipedia, 
was Puzzle and Dragons pulling in $1.5 billion. Good Lord. Good Destiny pulled in Lord. half a billion dollars. World of Warcraft pulled in three quarters of a billion dollars. Grand Theft Auto V, the highest grossing piece of entertainment of all time, earned less than Puzzle and Dragons. Yep. Like, the the money is so out of whack. <laughs> yeah. They, they just, they don't know what sells anymore. And if that's not enough, then Crossfire, which looks like it's probably the same exact kind of game, made $1.4 billion. Candy Crush Saga made $1.33 billion. Pat has some feelings about mobile he, games. Yeah. The, <laughs> like, uh, who, who has all this money to spend on mobile games? Kids using their parents' money with sometimes... Probably most of the time, I would say, without their parents knowing about it. Jeff, Look, I know you need those pink. <laughs> you need those goddamn pink donuts to build the super crusty burger in Simpsons Tapped Out. I get it. It's it's important. It's a biological necessity. But did you do that, Pat? Those are a lot of. That's that's a lot of crusty burgers. It's a lot of crusty burgers. I don't know what we're talking about. Well, to, <laughs> I get that it's a Simpsons reference, but I, but that that I represents like. like an enormous, enormous chunk of the gaming industry. Like that is the industry, basically. Like that's yeah. what everybody's fishing for. Like it sounds a little bit of a bold statement to say that's the industry, but like look at what games are trying to be. Like you see a Shadows of War, you see like a Battlefront Two. Like that's what they're trying to be. But for, for some reason, among people who, like, play games, it, it generally, like, monumentally flops. Yeah, so they're trying to make that money from, like, actual gamers who, you know, like, hang their gamer flag in their room and pray to it every day and play their video games. Like, you know, these are people that are spending $60 on a game, and some of them are kind of buying that stuff, but, like, that's the, the direction the industry's taken in a lot of ways, and I don't know, it's just kind of sad. Well, that's what got me thinking about, you know, the games that were most influential. And I thought about it a little bit differently than Alex. When I was thinking about it, I was thinking about how these games sort of impacted um, culture, not so much in the journalistic sense, at least. Um, And Minecraft was definitely on my list. Like that game exploded the world when it when when it came out. I, I don't remember until which i'll bring up the other game fortnite until fortnite i don't remember a game being that like that popular for a long time i think the closest game i could think to it would probably be like the sims and and that wasn't even close but these games had such a huge impact i mean everything like alex brought up with like youtube everybody was uh, uh was a minecraft YouTuber, and it happened again in 2019, which is nuts. Um, see, that's what you call a bookend. Yeah, <laughs> but Minecraft was kind of like a bookend to the Minecraft YouTube was a bookend to the decade. It was. Um, but the game that I put that I think in a lot of ways had the biggest impact of this decade, both good and bad, that I think about is CSGO. Because CSGO, to me, between that and, I guess, League of Legends and Dota were kind of where the esports scene really 
started to grow from. And I thought that was a great thing. Like that was part of, you know, we're now starting to see esports on TV uh, and it, it's getting more and more popular with every day. We're seeing schools that are picking up like esports programs, um, which I think is an amazing thing that's happening. But at the same time, a big part of CSGO was microtransaction loot boxes. And that was a big part of what sold that game. And I think they were one of the, the the most egregious at that time when CSGO initially released. And I As think- As a progenitor, it's wild because like it was clearly gambling, the, the gun skins thing. Like oh, yeah. it, it was a well-known secret. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at it, you had scandals like that, um, CSGO Lotto and stuff like that. I was going to bring up CSGO Lotto. Which all came from this one game. Like, I I hate saying that, but I feel like, at least to me, it seems like CSGO had one of the biggest impacts on the gaming world as a whole over this decade because it changed so much. So, for for anyone who's unfamiliar with the, the CSGO Lotto scandal... Um, basically what happened is there were these two guys who got big on YouTube, uh, basically gambling on gun skins on this website and promoting this website and getting a lot of followers on YouTube and trying to get people over to the website in order to gamble more skins. And then it turns out that they actually owned the website. So like there wasn't actually any proof that any of the, the, the quote unquote gambling that they did was even legit. Or if they just did it to like push traffic to the site, yeah. But and they, the, the fact and they, that they never didn't disclose that they own it, it. That was the the main issue is that they never disclosed that they owned it. They never told anybody. They just included a link in their descriptions. Yeah, every time they, they like, would make videos about it, and they'd basically be like, "Yeah, we found this website. Check, we, we checked it. this. That was like we found this. The you founded this website. You didn't find it. Yeah. There's a difference. So <laughs> that's what we meant to say." I mean, said. <laughs> so that's, for anyone who's unfamiliar with CSGO Lotto, that's the long and short of it. It was these guys who got big on YouTube promoting this gambling website. Turns out they owned it and never told anyone. Anyway, good games. Yeah. What about you, Pat? Right. Influential. So, so yeah, uh, looking at uh, influential, I mean, the, there was a lot, I feel like there were, there were really different directions the decade took. And uh, looking through at the beginning, like what stood out to me was uh, how much of a holdover the previous decade it was. Um, it, it still really felt like the, the 360 PS3 era, and I guess it's because it was still the PS3 360 era. Yeah. Um, but but I, I think that once again, in the middle of the decade... Uh, I personally at least saw a lot of indie games taking up the mantle. Um, and I had a heart as so like in my list of five games, uh, I, I kind of went with a more personal direction with it. Like I picked five games, I think encapsulate what this decade meant to me, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, like I, I didn't want to worry too much about like the broader trends. Okay. With, okay. Um, and instead picked five things to kind of show where it went. And I guess like in the middle of the decade, like when these indie games came in, I couldn't pick one to represent all of those. So I guess to to pick one that stood out to me that I didn't put on my list was Undertale, actually. 
Okay. Like this, this is a game that blew up in terms of like a culture around it and a fandom and like all this stuff. And I think it's like super cool, even if it's like super duper creepy. Um, and I feel like now we, we already can kind of like look back at that. Yeah, like it, there's been enough time. Yeah, and, and it's over, I feel like, you know? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of waned. In the, like in the it's it's I'm not sure. still being written anymore, I guess. Well, Delta yeah. Rune Chapter Two, we don't know what's gonna happen there, but um, yeah, who knows if it even ever gets made? Yeah, we, there's a lot of question marks there, but the I get what you're saying. Like the the way that game exploded was pretty wild. Like, yeah, that was that was huge. Because I was, remember here, like, I'm not one that really hears about games through like. Twitter and stuff like that, but there was such a groundswell with that game that it, like you couldn't avoid it. No, you were you were exposed to it wherever you went. For well, you know that that one really stood out to me, and that was like 2015 was maybe my favorite year of this decade for games. Okay. Um, the I think there were a few really good releases that year, but uh, I, I think that gaming felt a lot different then than like looking back at 2010. Some of the games that came out. Like Super Mario Galaxy 2, uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns, uh, Darksiders, Dante's Inferno. Does anybody remember Dante's Inferno? I remember. I, I do. I remember it had a big advertising campaign that made no sense. Yeah, I remember that. They, I do like, remember. Mailed, like coffins or something to to uh, like game journalists. Uh, I have. God damn, this industry had no idea what it was doing, and it, it was still doesn't. Just eh. See, the thing with me with, like, picking out, like, years for releases for games is, like, I'm always late to the party. Like, yeah. I always play a game, like, a couple years afterwards, and a big part of this decade for me was going back to, like, older games. And yeah, playing definitely. Games it was a great time to be a retro gamer. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, it, like, for me personally, if we were including, like, those kind of games, like, I would have to put Link to the Past in there. And I yeah, think you so could arguably, I, I specifically like, jump past like re-releases in that way. Yeah, and you can even make an argument like the whole randomizer thing that kind of exploded within this decade, and it's yeah. spread to just about every game at this point. So if I wanted to, I could make an argument for <laughs> for Link to the Past. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the the Link to the Past randomizer is one of like the greatest things of this decade, and there were a lot of great things. Like I, I kind of think it's coming across so far. Like I'm bagging on the direction of everything. Uh, that the industry I think is going in a very grim direction. Uh, the, the big I, money I, in the industry. I honestly like couldn't care less because like I don't lose sleep over whether the games I like sell well or not. I hope they don't because then they can't ruin them with remakes. You know, like because nobody will ever care. Uh, that's like, you know, you all can't enjoy this because you won't enjoy it on as many levels as I do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Are we going back to Undertale? Yeah, it's it's a very deep game. It's very deep. Uh, if you didn't know, uh, the setting of the game is deep below the Earth's surface. Oh, that's deep. Uh, that yeah, it's deep. really deep. That's, that's big deep right there. It's like Subnautica deep. Oh man! That also came out this decade. Did you know I that? I did. Yeah, little, that this would decade also fall fact. Under indie games. It would. Uh, but but other things that came out back then, and I'm looking at like specifically like 10, 11, and twelve. You had games like Portal Two, uh, Catherine, Final Fantasy Thirteen. Like these these games feel like they were an eternity ago. They do. It does feel uh, like it's been a long time. 
Epic Mickey. You've got like Wii games. <laughs> I love Pat, Epic like, Mickey. Pat still Dead has Space the list two? up. Pat still has the list up. Yeah, I, I really went all in at the beginning. Monday Night Combat, like <laughs> Monday Night, Monday Night Combat I, was a lot of fun. It was it was pretty good. <laughs> but you you had mentioned the the video games awards. And I did manage to catch, uh, like, the last hour and a half of it, I guess. Last hour of it. And um, I saw the, the game of the year, actually, made me made me really happy. I don't know if, if Sekiro would definitely land on my list of top games. But I definitely think it shows, like, the influence of that kind of, like, design. Oh, shit. That did come out this year, yeah. and I still didn't beat it. <laughs> it didn't land it It's didn't okay. Land I'll finish online. it for the end of the year, maybe. It but, did. The end of the year 2020. <laughs> but there were a lot of games that came out this decade. And, like, there, there were a lot that, that meant a lot to me. And, like, personally. And so I'm what sure would you guys be, feel the same way. Yeah, so what would be one? Since Pat gave one with Undertale, what would one be for you? Well, if if I had to pick one and we're going... like I, I'm going to go with Indie Games 2 just because I, I like the direction that represents. Um... I'm going to go with Salt and Sanctuary. Okay. I think Salt and Sanctuary, like, was it was a beautiful game. It was, it, it took that philosophy of, like, fair difficulty through good design and expanded on it with a lot of different elements that weren't, like, in other games like that. Like, you didn't really have a lot of platforming in, in those style of games. And if you did, it was terrible. Yeah. And this game, like, added that. It, it kept, like, the heart of the fair difficulty, like, with the combat design and expanded on it in a, in a very unique way. And it was made by uh, two people. Yeah, it's the same people who made Charlie Murder. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and but I it was, forget, it was Dishwasher was the other game. That, but it was made by two people, and it was this expansive, like, world that was free to explore wherever you wanted, and I just... I loved it because it's it felt like like a classic game. Like there was love put into it, and that's that's where I think the indie games is shine is that they feel loved. Yeah, you know it what I mean. It seems like somewhere between. So like you can't really talk about Salt and Sanctuary without mentioning Dark Souls. But like I was, I, I, I kind of go in another direction with that. Like it it feels like this neat kind of middle ground between like a Dark Souls fan game. And and just like some some other concepts that where they had to like pitch it to a studio and it comes into the middle where I think it's the game that the these makers like really wanted to make you know the not too many compromises creatively yeah yeah and and, and it, I think that's the best part of indie games is they don't need to like adhere to some kind of like popular business plan yeah but, uh, I went with that. I mean, there were a few games that, like, few indie games that came out that I really, really enjoyed. But I think it's your turn now, Frank. Yeah. So one that I would put on my list, and I mean, for anybody who's watched me on Twitch, they'll understand why this game is on my list, and I'll kind of explain it as we go on. But one that definitely goes on my list, also a indie game is Rocket League. I can't not put Rocket League on my games of the decade. Uh, Rocket League is, is definitely on there for me. Because, to be fair, this whole thing, like, bad RNG wouldn't exist without without Rocket League. 
Rocket which League. makes it the single most influential game ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, fuck Super Mario Bros. Was, 3. It was what? Yeah, honestly, like, this edges in just ahead of Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> wow, that's pretty high. <laughs> yeah, the, the most important game ever made that's not called Rocket League. The, um... Because for a little bit of background story, like, we all went to high school together, but, you know, me and Pat still talk, but me and Alex hadn't talked to each other basically since high school. Yeah. And it was Rocket League that kind of brought the three of us together, and we started playing it, and we just had so much fun with this game that it, you know, birthed this whole thing where we did, you know, streaming together, and Rocket League streams are by far no questions asked the most ridiculous streams that we have because you kind of shut off your brain like you shut off a part of your brain because it's so focused on the rocket league that you say the most ridiculous shit that comes in your mind humanly possible like, like half of our clips on twitch are like just us saying ridiculous shit either in rocket league or in PUBG, where games where you just shut your brain off yes most of them are from rocket league the vast majority are from rocket league and, and because it's it's just so much fun to just play and and just say ridiculous shit. Well, it's it's one of but those this, games that's just there. It's just it, it's weird because I want to sit here and be able to give like a more complex answer and sound like I'm smart for a second about the game, but it's just fun. Like that's all I can say. Rocket League is fun. Like it's a stupid shut your brain off. Like, you could get into the competitive scene if you want to, but then you could play Spike Rush and run around with spikes and blow everybody up and do dumb shit, too. And it just makes the game fun. I think the most important thing about Rocket League is that at its at its very simplest, at its very core, it's a very, very simple game. You yes. drive a car into a ball and you try to knock knock the ball into a net. Right, it's like soccer, but you're driving a car instead. Everyone can picture that in their minds, but then you start to expand on that very basic concept. You're like, okay, you can boost. Okay, you can go a little faster. Oh, that fly. boost also <laughs> pushes you into the air. Oh, uh, okay. Shit just got real. Shit just got real, and then you realize that there's so much more to the game, and it's just constantly expanding as you get better at it. Yeah. But it starts there's a off lack of so rigidity simple. in its concept, right? Like it's it's very fluid. Uh, it's it's a game that really surprised me because I, I generally don't really like sports games. I've tried. Uh, I'm a big hockey fan. Uh, I don't mention it too much in like the the whole gaming sphere here, but uh, I'm really big into the sport of hockey. And a couple of times I've tried to get into like the NHL games. And uh, aside from like NHL '96, I just don't really like like any of them. Um, it, if I had to pick like a simple reason, it, it would just be that I don't think it, it works that when you start shooting, your move stick becomes your aim stick. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's just really obtuse to me, uh, and I can't do it. And I don't think it, it's really actually that much like hockey at all. But when I play Rocket League, I feel like it's actually a lot closer. And I think it's a lot closer to a lot of sports. And it's because like there's no shoot button. There's yeah. no pass button. These are like you're not like stuck in the rigid idea of what people do in these sports. Like you have to actually think tactically and mechanically like somebody playing a sport. You know, the 
like if you want to move the ball in a specific way, you got to learn how to handle it. And, you know, there there's a lot of technique there. And it's it's not just as simple as like these basic timings. You don't just find the cheaty spot and score, even though I guess people do that off the wall with that same one shot every time. <laughs> but that was only in Spike Rush. I, I think what's what's funniest about this about this you whole know, conversation. You know that air dribble I'm talking about. <laughs> I think the funniest part about this whole conversation is Frank started it with like, I wish I could like say something smart and come up with something and sound like I'm smart for once. And then Pat comes out with, well, I feel like it's a yeah, lack of he, rigidity. And he it's comes up with this like eloquent fucking answer, making me look like a goddamn asshole. I love the appeal of a rocket league with this equation. As, as soon as you said a lack of rigidity in its concept, I was like, Oh, you're just rubbing it in at this point. <laughs> uh, sorry, not sorry. It's okay. <laughs> but no, it's, that's a good way of putting it. It, it. is. Like, it's, like, it's, that's why I, and that's why it landed on my list. And it's also because like, it floats in between. Like, it, I wouldn't call it an indie game, but I wouldn't call it a AAA game. Uh, it, it goes to show that like you can find success basically like at any level if you got a good enough game. Yeah, and I, that's the game that I thought all three of us would share. Yes, and I think Rocket League, because that was that was this decade. I it have was, to like, say, square in the middle in that year that I love twenty fifteen. I have to say, year. because it's quite literal, Pat. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> quite literally, <laughs> you already told us that. <laughs> I did. No, thank you. <laughs> game fun. I like play. I like, Me like bump ball into a hole. <laughs> you got to slam the hole. You got to slam the hole. <laughs> the suit makes me sweaty. The suit makes me sweaty. <laughs> Can't take the Hulk dick. Like there's too, there's too many to remember. So many Rocket League games. Oh, but what's man. another one for you, Alex? Uh, there was, Pat, you there said. Was, or so you so said we're going Rocket down League our like well. actual lists here. Yeah. yeah like a, okay. Okay. So, so you'd both have Rocket League, and then yes. you had, um, had Undertale Salt and, and Salt and Sanctuary. Yeah. So, I guess another game for me to give me my number two. Would be an, another game that came out in 2015 that I absolutely loved and got heavily addicted to was Bloodborne. Um, fits in that Dark Souls family, and I have a feeling that the the other two will have Dark Souls in their list. Um, what's, a, what's a Dark Soul? <laughs> I, but, uh, yeah, I do 100%. The, is that like one of those heavy metal bands? It might be. There might be a Dark Souls heavy metal band. Who knows? Yeah, you know, like there's probably a lot of them. Well, yeah. they have um. Well, they have the lead singer uh, Ornstein. Oh, and and, 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 and Smo? the drummer. Yeah, Smo, the drummer. The the thing that sold me on Bloodborne above the and this was a tough decision. Don't get me wrong, because I sat there and I thought about every one of the games made from software. Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3, Bloodborne, and Sekiro. Like, I thought about all of these games together, and it's like, what did I like about each one? What makes one outweigh the other and finally get there? Because I knew one of them was going to be on this list. 
Yeah. And it came pretty quickly that Bloodborne was it for me. And I, I've talked about this before on, on the podcast is that for me, the big part about Bloodborne for me was the was the atmosphere like that HP Lovecraft Victorian style of the game. And I I kind of I have a love hate relationship with the aggressive nature of it compared to Dark Souls, where Dark Souls is a little bit more calculated. You want to sit back, see what the patterns are, kind of figure out your plan of attack, and then go for it, where Bloodborne was more about, you know, if you get attacked, counterattack. You want to you wanna be on the offensive, so they wanted to kind of speed up the pace, which I enjoyed about the game, but it did have its downsides, but that, just that, entire aesthetic of the game was what really sold me on it above the others was just that well, aesthetic well as far as like the, the the soulsborne games go there there are only two that i will accept an argument for for best in the in the the series and that's the first dark souls and bloodborne like i may not agree with you but i definitely see the argument i, I like that bloodborne got into more of the the cosmic horror towards the end yeah, like co- cosmic horror is definitely something that I've always been a personal fan of, and it got like really heavy into that like that whole Cthulhu mythos kind of thing. Like insanity, like breeds these creatures, or these creatures breed insanity, or whatever, and it just kind of blows up from there. And you get the feeling that you're living in a world with like these super powerful entities that really couldn't care less about us at all and anything that we do. Yeah, like it, it didn't. It, they tried to harness it, and it ended up ruining their entire society. Like it was, it was a very creepy game. It definitely was a, a creepy game. The atmosphere yes. was more well done, I think, than in the first Dark Souls. You wouldn't put Sekiro. You wouldn't make an argument for Sekiro. Uh, I think Sekiro is a lot like Bloodborne, but with a different atmosphere. One that I wasn't personally a fan of. Okay. Like, it was, it was very, like, feudal Japanese, which, like, it did well in trying to bring that across. It definitely felt like that, but that's not really an atmosphere I was looking for. Okay. I think the thing... But I can, but I can understand the argument for it. So, yeah, the yeah, big I'll, part of the argument for that, for me, would be the movement and the, com- the differences in combat because of it. Yeah. That would be the big change there that they did, but... Mine was Bloodborne, so over to one of you. Um, what do you got, Pat? What game you so got? So I guess I'll, I'll talk about the why I put Dark Souls on there. Okay, uh, I don't know. I, if I really had to think about it and like make a decision, I might say Dark Souls is the game of the decade. Uh, it kind of reinvigorated the my my love of games uh I, I guess i've always liked games there have been times where i play them a little less or think about them a little less but um it, it came at a time like i said the early decade like i don't think it was that amazing i think the industry was kind of like stuck in its its ways a bit and here comes dark souls to just show you how to do everything at the same time like you're gonna have an open world game you're going to have a challenging game. They're going to put like all these mechanics in there that are like you know they're carefully considered like why they are the way they are largely. Yeah. Uh you know, it's it's just like a measuring stick game. I don't think everything's got to be like Dark Souls, but it 
it's a good example of you know executing on your concept i guess yes you know i, I wish every game executed on its appeal and its concept as well as dark souls did like uh, i wish it more open world games didn't just like put a bunch of stuff on a map and be like well it's all spaced out so this is a good map you know like i i wish that they they wanted to connect these things and give them like a reason why they're there and like add a sort of archaeological element uh I wish more games, when they thought about healing, kind of thought about how they're going to pace you out or, or limit you without just being, like, dickishly difficult, you know? It's, man, it, what a goddamn good game. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was going to save Dark Souls for last just because I I agree that it was the game of the decade. It's I, I would definitely make an argument for that, just not just in terms of how influential it was because everything is the Dark Souls of something now. Right? right, like everything is the Dark Souls of something. It's become a meme at this point, but like it just at the time there was a, a large like movement towards accessibility. There was a lot of like first person shooters with auto aim mechanics. The worst kind of accessibility. Yeah, it was like just ab- abusive accessibility, I guess, where it took away a lot of your agency as a player, and it just. It, it was did. a bad time for the idea of games being cinematic. Yeah. And I think Dark Souls kind of went in, in the opposite direction with that. Like, Which is wild, because like, it can be a really cinematic game in its own right. Yeah. I, but it's, it brings those cinematic moments about in a natural way. Yeah, like, it doesn't like try to force you into the camera lens. Like the, I remember... The first time I ever heard about Dark Souls, it was about, I guess, like a year and a half after it had released. And Pat had come over to my house, and he, he I think you had shared, you had showed me like a Praise the Sun meme. <laughs> or like a You Died meme. I don't remember exactly what it it's was. It's probably a You Died. I think it was it. A, I think it was a You Died meme. And you showed it to me, and I was like, what the fuck is that? He's like, yeah, it's like this game, it's like, super difficult and it's supposedly real good called dark souls and i was like oh okay sounds generic whatever and so i I did a little research into it and i watched like a bit of a speed run of it and i was like okay i actually don't want to watch any more of this i want to go play it and it was like three days later when i when i looked up like it was it was absolutely insane how much time i put into that game so early (laughs) yeah and that's there, it was a game of moments for me. Like the big part of it was that it didn't have a mini map, so you had to like constantly be updating the world map in your own head. And at, at moments when you realized that like your paths ha- your path crossed with another path that you had taken, or it leads you back to somewhere that you had been, and it, it feels like a part of the map fills in, I guess would be the best way to put it, and you, you see the whole picture, and just those moments of the game giving you, like, more of itself, and just the basic trust that it had in the player to just figure shit out yourself. It was detrimental in some places, but, uh, yeah, I, I, game of the decade for me. I can understand that. I can understand it on both your parts. Like, it... it... It was a very tough decision for me between Bloodborne and Dark Souls. It really and, was. 
And we're we're not saying you're wrong for choosing Bloodborne. No, uh, even if I thought you were wrong, like uh, which which I don't, by the way. Uh, I, yeah, uh, no. not even, and not just because I can't comment on Bloodborne. I, I didn't still haven't played it, but uh, you know, like I'd rather hear like more ideas of what the game of the decade is, and like you know, adhering to like what the popular consensus is of the best games. You know. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a boring idea to me. Since, I'm, I'm interested in discussion, not echo chambers. So, since you guys did your game of the decade, should I do mine? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I think I, it's a good time. I think it's a good time. I know it's coming, but it's, I'm excited it, for it. it. It's super obvious. I've talked about... I actually just talked about this on Twitter, too. And I'll go through the whole thing. My game of the decade is Shovel Knight. No questions asked. In fact... As I said on Twitter, I thought about this long and hard, and I gave it a lot of time to think about it. And I think Shovel Knight might be my favorite game, period. When I really think about it, I really break it down. Everything that's, that's about That's a high it. bar. And that was, that was tough for me, because Kirby Superstar has always been my favorite game, because it's a game I can always go back to and have a lot of fun playing it. And I just love everything about Kirby Superstar. But in in the same way, Shovel Knight gives me something so similar to that as an adult and not going, not having any nostalgia towards it. That's the part that I think is so interesting about this game. Now, I remember it was PAX East. Oh, God, it had to be like 2011, 2010. I got to meet the guys from Yacht Club's games when they were getting ready to do the Kickstarter for Shovel Knight. And I was kind of like, I saw it and I'm like, this looks really cool. This looks pretty interesting. You know, got to speak with them a little bit. I was like, you know what? I'm going to back this game, see what happens. And Lord, if I knew this, if I knew this, I, I, I don't know what I would have said. Like, I can't think of a kickstarter that i think was better done than shovel knight was shovel knight delivered on everything they promised and more than they promised for their consumer base i mean you basically got what five games because you have the shovel of hope campaign you got plague of shadows you got specter torment you got king of cards which just came out and you got Shovel Showdown, which is like a Smash Bros. clone-ish type game. All of these things together, and every story, kind of, each of these individual campaigns for each character, telling a little bit more of the story to fully build the world, so you fully understand everything that's going on in the original Shovel Knight campaign. So you get the Shovel Knight campaign... Plague of Shadow or not yeah Plague of Shadows happens concurrently with Shovel Knight happening at the same time then you have uh Spectre of Torment which is a prequel and King of Cards is also a prequel but and it's happening concurrently to uh Spectre of Torment See I I don't know that's the one thing I was wondering about is is it is it happening concurrently or did it happen after because it's part of specter knight's um recruitment because you see you see at the end of the game 
you um because specter knight had already been to speak to all of them and try to convince them to come work for the enchantress you see polar knight tinker knight and um who's the i forget the last one there but there are three of them standing on the horizon watching the tower rise yes and that I got the feeling that that's when they decided to work for the Enchantress. So it's the it's the culmination of Specter Knight's mission. Yeah, I thought that Specter Knight's mission to recruit them was at the very end of or Specter of Torment, though, when he kind of he's basically doing it to take care of Reese or Rise or whatever his name yeah. is. I, I think it was that was his purpose, like the whole time. Like everything that he does is in service in, of recruiting the Order of No Quarter. Okay. Yeah, I could. Yeah. That's like that's like that's his mission because Enchantress has him like it's enslaved or something. She's yeah. Threatening. I forget what exactly it was. It's been a long time since I've played it, but she had some kind of control over him. Yes. Um. It basically had to do with the um. The bond or the the pact he made with his old friend, yeah, that, and and it had to do with that um the, the locket, amulet or the amulet yeah. or the, the locket. But what's cool about it is they all tell different stories too. Like shovel of hope is ba- exactly that. It's it's the hope story, you know. It's the story of friendship and hope. Um, the plague is of shadows guy going to save his friend. Yes. It Plague of Shadows is a love story. Um Specter of Torment is really a tragic tale. Oh, it's yeah, it's 100% a tragedy. And King of Cards is like a dark comedy. Yeah, it's it's definitely a dark comedy. And and every one of them tells their story and every character is so different but they're all so nuanced too. Just I, I can't give this game any more praise. The music is is absolutely incredible. Visuals are incredible. And to give all of that and, and live up to that promise that they made to people through that Kickstarter is, is exactly why I fell in love with it so much. I mean, I guess the greatest uh, the greatest compliment I can give the game is... At least this is my impression of it. I don't know. Maybe other people don't feel that way, feel this way. But when it comes to like speed running, I can't speed run a game that I just kind of casually like. I can only, I can only play a game three hundred times in a day if I really love that game. That's at least for my experience. And I'm not trying to like, you know, take a shot at anybody who does it. Otherwise, that's just. My personal experience, I can't play, for example, I couldn't play, uh, I don't know, Silver Surfer 300 times in a day because I don't enjoy that game enough to play it 300 times. But I can do that with Shovel Knight and enjoy it every time. And Now, if you, if you had to pick one of the four games, which is your favorite? Spectre of Torment. Okay. Spectre of Torment's my favorite. I think between that, honestly, it's between that and King of Cards. Like, th- mm-hmm. both of them are, were really well-told stories. I Shovel of Hope is a little bit simplistic. Um, It doesn't do nearly as much storytelling as the other ones do. 
Um, but I just like the, I, I mean, I like both of them for similar reasons too. Like there's that, there's like a conflict for, for Specter Knight. Like his, his morality kind of is in turmoil because of what he needs to do. But I do love them all. I do. Yacht Club, they were, they you're were fucking great. All of them were good games. It's a I, I speedrun Shovel Knight for a while. It's one of the three games I've ever speedrun. It's, it's not on me. my list, though, unfortunately. It's, well, Shovel Knight could have been on my list. Uh, I, I'm probably going to amend Undertale. I, in truth, uh, I didn't know we were jumping into the lists. Uh, I got my cues wrong. Uh, uh, no, no. But I had a few games that were going to slot in there. Uh, and... Shovel Knight was one of them. Uh, for what it's worth, they also had FTL as a possibility. FTL's a good game. Yeah, FTL indie games really game. rip super hard. This decade was... was I, I would make an argument that like this decade could be called like the golden age of indie games. Yeah. Like it's it's a it's basically like a like a revival of that old school style of of making a game. Where it's like a couple of people doing a passion project. Yeah. And and you they're can carrying feel the torch the a lot of it. Now, you know, like I think this is the real like video game scene, like these kinds of games personally. I, I would agree with that. Like yeah. I'd download these to my Sega tapes and keep them on a shelf if I could. The nah. one game that I thought about and I want to get some opinions, I think is a a pretty influential game of this decade was Rogue Legacy. Like it's such a like sleeper game. But I feel like Rogue Legacy brought roguelikes to the forefront. And it's it's funny because the last game on my list is a roguelike. My my personal favorite roguelike, Binding of Isaac. Rebirth came out in well, I guess the the remake or I guess like the update, I, I don't know. It was originally a Flash game, and then it was made in not Flash, and the game had a, like basically a huge overhaul. But that version of the game came out in 2014. But roguelikes were huge. Like you could even make an argument that Rogue Legacy gave us the randomizers too. Yeah, I mean, Rogue Legacy had a lot of influence for being a game that you don't hear people talk about that often anymore. I love Rogue Legacy, by the way. I never got good enough at it. I I played a lot of it, but I never got good at it, and I just I couldn't get the hang of like the pogo. Oh, okay. It yeah. does get a little bit tough to get used to the pogo. Mm-hmm. But that that was a game that I thought was so interesting because not only did they change the you know not only did they change the map every time, but you could you know alleviate that spending money. But they changed your abilities. They changed like how your character reacted to things. Sometimes it was upside down. Sometimes they were colorblind. Sometimes they were this. They were that. It was. It, it wasn't the same start every time. No, and it was that, always a different game. It was so. Th- th- it was so good. It was a good game. It was so good. But also, uh, the the lead in to Binding of Isaac was one hundred percent not intentional. It just kind of worked <laughs> out that way. Yeah, that it did. <laughs> but on that note, I think that we should hear more about it. Alex, tell us yes. about the next game on your list that you already told us a little bit about. <laughs> well, I, I, 
I don't know if I've ever talked about it on on the podcast or on the stream, but like Binding of Isaac is actually a really important game for me. Uh, that was the game that me and my wife first started like bonding over, and I actually proposed to her using a mod from the Binding of Isaac. I actually approached like the modding community to like make some custom sprites and and do some some mod work basically on the game, so that I could present it to her as like a marriage proposal. And obviously, she's my wife now, so you can imagine how that went. Yeah, I guess but it, it was just. But Said for me no. personally, that was it, like Dark Souls was, in my opinion, like the my favorite game to play of the decade. But The Binding of Isaac was the most important for me. Personally, it's a good, it's a good reason. <laughs> and we'll get it. We'll get a nice little little feel good in there right at the end of my list. <laughs> Aww. And I still have the mod actually. Nice. Yeah. You have to show it off on stream at some point, like show people. It was it was cool. Like there's a character in there. Like there was a lot of thought put into it that wasn't immediately obvious. Like I I started her with her favorite items. There's a she's blind or not blind, but she can't really see well out of her left eye. And there's a character who wears an eye patch. So I made her start as that character. There, there was a lot of like little touches in there that were really nice. But I'll, I'll have to show that off sometime. I think that would be really cool. I think that would be really cool. Patrick. Yes. Another game. Okay. So on my list, we've already gone over what, Dark Souls. We've gone over Rocket League. We've gone over Insert Indie Game here. <laughs> um, so these have generally been games that I feel like really positively impacted me. Uh, I'm going to go with one that uh, ended up not being a positive impact. Uh, it's, a, it's a game that taught me a lot of lessons. Uh, a really important game of this decade for me was Payday 2. Oh. Okay. Payday 2 was actually a really cool concept. Uh, it had a lot going for it when it came out. Uh, this was at a time when early access was like still kind of a big deal um, in, in the good and the bad way. Yeah, uh, and and this comes out and it, it kind of like tightens up some ideas from the first game. Uh, it's got some ideas that are a little bit like half baked, but like might add some variety or some replayability. Uh, and, and so you know there was some room for patience with it. Uh, it had this kind of wide open concept where like it's a it's a squad based bank robber game where like you could try and ride the line and do things stealthily or just turn it into a big like basically arcade wave shooter. Uh, <laughs> the second version's way better. Um, and so this way this better. comes along with a lot of promise, but it's 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 not well refined. And they're like, we got we got things coming, guys, and they got into this routine where they were doing like monthly like weapon packs it cost some money and they're like oh look at this roadmap we've got roadmaps are really like popular now among developers um and all the potential that was there it, it just kind of like never came together it always ended up being a janky game it always kind of had like mechanics that made you feel like you're like top level play was more exploiting the game and and like kind of gaming the system than like actually mastering it yeah um the they spent a lot of time hyping up like really obnoxiously transparent cash grabs like i'm I'm just gonna say it like there were cash grabs like this they had a point where where they were selling literally just hype 
Like, I think they called it, like, the hype train or something, and you could buy, like, $1 or $5 or $20 DLC, and it, it was just nothing. Like, literally nothing. It, it, it sounds like a, a joke, right? Like, uh, like, the Cards Against Humanity, like, selling people, like, digging a hole or whatever. <laughs> like, it's it, it was absolutely ridiculous. And in the end, like, all these things they hyped up, yeah. uh, a lot of things they promised just, like, didn't exist uh to this day the first game had like a mystery that took a lot of like community digging to find and to this day i'm convinced that the they said that there was also one in the second game they had like a a pre-release kind of like pdf handbook of clues uh it's not in there it's just not so you know payday 2 taught me that sometimes when you open up that vault door and the ode to joy starts playing there's nothing inside. Well, 47 that's, that's pieces of DLC for that game. Yeah, like, it's it's not quite in, like, train simulator territory, but, you know, it's close. It, it's pretty bad. I, I remember... And it got worse, too. Yeah, it, it, it seemed like you could get, like, two guns for $2, and then there was, like, random... Like, they started doing promotional deals with, like, YouTubers and stuff. I think there's, like, an H3, like, H3 pack. They put John Wick in there at one point, John and it Wick. definitely got worse after that. Uh, like, at one point, they were actually doing, like, straight-up loot boxes, uh, and then they took them out. Like, how bad is it when you put a mechanic in, and you spend all this time telling people, no, actually, it's really ethical and good, and you should pay for it, and then you still take it out? Yeah. Like, as the kids on the streets say, that's a bad look. That's a BM. It's a BM. Yeah, dog. that's 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 a a butt movement. <laughs> that's a butt of move. the poop. Uh, but yeah, I I I can definitely understand that one. I remember you know us playing that for a little while and it very quickly faded on it very quickly faded like it, yeah it's it wasn't like it's the a shame because those shooting mechanics were really fun in a lot of ways um uh if somebody were to ask me would i recommend payday 2 i would say i recommend payday the heist yeah it's probably half the cost and it has like one dlc uh payday 2 currently is 99 cents Wow. 99 cents. I mean, there is the winter sale going on right now, so I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree and, you. You know, you. I think what, what like really gets me here is that Payday 2 isn't, you know, like like Puzzle and Dragons, right? You know, this isn't some, like, shitty cheap cash grab on your phone that's basically like a like a banner ad game designed to steal your, your ATM's social security number. Like this, this was a, a real game, like by gamers for gamers, and it was still a shitty, cheap cash grab at at its core. Yeah. Rip in peace, assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Roasted, <laughs> as they say. But if I had to pick one more game, only one more. I think it would probably 
be and and I thought about it for a while. Like I, I I was going back and forth on a few games, um, but I think it would probably be Persona Five. Like okay, I I love that game. I was surprised at how much I enjoy it. It's it's one of those weird instances where like when I first started playing when I first start playing them I feel kind of, I don't know for me at least I feel kind of weird I'm like it's kind of weird like playing this game with like romance and stuff with teenagers I'm like 30 this just feels kind of weird to me <laughs> um but when when you start playing it like it's not an overly complex story but there's a lot of layers to it and with all the different mechanics that they add in it being a traditional JRPG but also having like this more social sim element to it kind of makes it unique to other games in that way and I really enjoy that about I guess it would be Persona 3 through 5 has been it started with 3 that they started doing that so I really enjoyed that about these games and I think every game since three well actually really every game since one it's gotten better like from one to two it got better and I mean that that should be the natural progression right like when when a game becomes a series you would hope that the next game in the series will be better than the last one like you take what you learned from this one and apply it to the next one so you can make it even better but that doesn't happen all the time. I'm looking at you, Final Fantasy 13. Um, <laughs> but it's funny. Can I commit a, a cardinal sin of gaming discourse? Go ahead, do it. Please I, do. I, I gotta compare Persona 5 to Dark Souls. Oh no! Uh, I'm doing it. It's the Dark Souls of something or other. Uh, no. <laughs> so like, kind of, kind of like. Hell, just do um, it just to do it. Yeah, it's the Dark Souls is something or whatever. No, but but like in the same way we we're saying, like it, it's great that Dark Souls like did all the things that it did in one package. It broke conventions and all that. Like whatever. Like like not every game has to be like Dark Souls, but like games should the like, execute on their concept like it. It kind of sounds like Persona Five does that. It like, does. It's a completely different style of game, but it's going to include all these different things that like maybe sound like they don't fit or don't make sense or they do fit in a way that's going to be like really dumb unfortunately and no no like they spent the time on it to make sure that this all actually went together and for it they they ended up with a pretty high concept jrpg yeah, yeah. you know i think that that kicks ass and one one of my favorite things that i've seen when people like a criticism that i see sometimes from people outside of you know the bubble and it makes it funnier when you give them the whole story is i hear a lot of people complain because one of the main things that atlas does with these games is like persona 3 comes out then persona 3 comes out with like a different iteration that has more involved in it persona 4 comes out then there's persona 4 golden which has more involved in it like there's more there's more like relationships and there's a little bit more to the story um, and then they'll have like side games that tell a little bit more of the story in different games. And Persona 5 is now doing that. Like they have a game com coming out called Persona 5 Scramble, I think, or they're calling it Strikers. I'm not sure which name they're going with, but 
it's like a Dynasty Warriors type game, but they're going to have the storytelling elements of Persona 5 in it. And people are, there are some people that are complaining about this, like, this game has too many spinoffs. Like, why does Atlas have all these spinoffs for these games? And it kind of makes me laugh because Persona itself is a spinoff. Yeah. It's a spinoff of Shin Megami Tensai. So it's a spinoff with spinoffs. It's wild. It's like a Russian nesting doll. Yes. Like those little dolls that sit inside each other. Yes. Like there's one and then there's the next one. And there's the next one. And there's and like all these video out. games. And now who who even has time to think anymore? And then we're going to find out like that Shin Megami Tensai is actually a spinoff of Dark Souls. Oh wow. But Dark Souls God. is a ripoff of Lord of the Rings. Oh my oh, God. Bum, bum, bum. So we've, we've kind of discussed the the decade at large we did there was there was a lot talked about here today well we how many games did we all get through because i think i've got four uh, uh we did only do four you're right you know what we got one and, more I anybody got a, an extra one you don't got another that's fine i do not have another i've you got did. one like so you know i feel like i've, I've talked about games. dark souls enough <laughs> yeah you could talk about it again I'll put Dark Souls in there again because it's just that fucking good of a game. Like, One extra vote for Dark Souls. <laughs> if you haven't played it, go play it. And if you get stuck, just keep fucking playing it until you don't get stuck anymore, idiot. And then stop the podcast and play Shovel Knight. <laughs> yeah, Play Shovel Knight, yes. yes. Finally, it comes full circle. Okay. <laughs> the meme so. is now complete. So I'll amend my indie one and then uh, I'll recap and I'll go with my last game because it's, it's kind of... Uh, you know, the my, my last little uh, inspiration, my, my hope for the future. So uh, my indie game, I'm gonna I'm gonna amend that and I'm gonna go with Axiom Verge. I do like that game. It's, it's like a game. guy was like I'm gonna make Super Metroid. And then he made Super Metroid, but it was more differenter. And it was really good. Uh, and it's super cool that one guy can make a big old game like that and it, it doesn't seem as like novel now in that way. But man, it was at real cool time. seeing at the time, you know, like yeah. like old games are coming back, and holy shit, they were, yeah, they really were, and it had that that passion project feel to it, like there yeah, was a so, lot of love poured into Axiom Verge. So it's it's hard to pick one, uh, one indie game that really encapsulates all this. Uh, Papers Please was another one I really thought about a lot. Um, I did, th- I thank did God really for little tiny games. Yeah. Yeah, um, but, but no, my last game here is actually uh, Beat Saber. Uh, Beat Saber kind of blew my mind when I saw it. Like, I thought that VR had nothing for me. Uh, like, video games had been perfected as a concept. It's a picture on a flat panel. It's a it's a, a dumb moving painting that I that I manipulate with this this electronic shovel in my hands. Uh, pass the <laughs> shovels, boys. Um. <laughs> Pass the shovels, boys. Yeah, pass the shovel. Uh, <laughs> but no, uh, so uh, I did get the chance to play VR uh, on a whim, and you know, I kind of had that attitude, like, ah, whatever. You know, it's a novelty. People say it's a, all all that in a bag of chips, but you know, like, I'm not hungry. 
And sure enough, like, if you take lightsabers and Guitar Hero and, like, mash them up and put them in some goggles, like, you got a really cool game. Like, I'm actually really interested to see what else they can come up with for, like, how we can play video games in the future. I actually Um, really want to play Beat Saber. I've seen Beat Saber, and I loved Guitar Hero, but I, I haven't had a chance to actually try Beat Saber out. And I was very tempted here instead of Beat Saber to say Compound, but I'm afraid that like nobody's going to know what that is. But Compound is really awesome, and uh, it goes to show that you can do conventional VR, uh, conventional games in VR, and it still works. Can we also so, talk about Rec Room? That game's great. Yeah. Rec Room. It's free. Forget Rec Room. Rec Room Charades <laughs> is the only video game you'll ever need. I knew that was coming. Fuck Dark Souls. <laughs> Rec Room Charades. Wow. I, I really spiked the mic on that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my audio return and it's just like, it's, it's, yeah, it's not good. It looks like a, it looks like a barbecue fork. It's okay. Um, my last game might be a little bit surprising. I don't know. I, 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 a game that I really grew to enjoy a lot for a number of reasons was Stardew Valley. Oh, I thought you were going to say Puzzle and Dragons. No, no. Puzzle and Dragons. No, I, I actually really weighed, uh, Stardew Valley as well for that indie spot. Like, Stardew Valley, again, was another one of those games. One guy just worked on this game. And then, you know, eventually I think Chucklefish came in and helped a bit with the game. But it was basically a one-man project. And he's still pretty much constantly updating the game. They just came out with... He just came out with a major update on it on, like, the 26th of November. That added, like, a ton of new stuff to the game. New character events... New items, new, like, new hairstyles, all sorts of stuff for you to, uh, like... You got me at the hairstyles. Hairstyles, yeah, you dude. need. You need hairstyles. I need more hairstyles. Dude, 24 new hairstyles. Whoa, dude. 181 new shirts. 35 hats. I, I actually feel well, a little overwhelmed. Go. Could we actually reduce the, the number yeah. of, of things? <laughs> Can we go back to the shirts? I didn't get enough stunned silence. Yeah, I'm having option anxiety here. Yeah, you didn't send help. I have. I'm having executive disorder right now. <laughs> but um, no, I lost like ninety hours to Stardew Valley in like one month. It was kind of obscene. Yeah, yeah, I, I put a lot of time into it, that game, and I stepped away from it, knowing that if I ever went back, I was never coming back out. Well, yeah. it's it's definitely that type of game. It's just so chill. And I just recently started playing it again um, because there was one of the things I like about this game, and it's the same reason I uh, really enjoyed Minecraft. It was like I enjoyed the base game, but there's a great modding community to go along with it. Um. And there was a group of... Well, there was a mod that came out that I thought was really interesting. Um, I think it's called Stardew Valley. I think it's literally just called Stardew Valley Expanded. Um, And it adds, like, 
four new characters to the game. It makes the map larger. Um, there's new like NPC events. Um, all sorts of like they add so much more to the game to like just kind of retell the experience again and I think that type of stuff is super cool to see what the community of gamers can come up with as well and I think that really helped me when I was really thinking about my last game that kind of helped drive it that little bit to get it into that top five for me for this decade and and to expand on that I feel like the the community driven games like the the communities that are building these mods like they're going to be the next indie developers yeah so like these these community driven games are ending up like breeding a whole new generation of indie developers that will turn around and use the the influence they made making these games better to make their own good games absolutely and it's 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 a cycle that just kind of perpetuates itself they'll remember like oh i was i was a part of this community that's where i learned how to do it let me make sure that like if i end up getting people who like my shit that you know i offer them like the same community options that i was allowed because without that they wouldn't have had the opportunity i think that's that's definitely a driving factor, at least for the future. Well, to go back to an original, like one of the original things we were talking about is, uh, have you guys ever heard of Hypixel? Heard of it. So I have not. Hypixel was one of the first major groups that got together and started doing like expansive, like mods and plugins for Minecraft. And they kind of completely changed the they completely changed the game. Like they were people that brought in like the Minecraft Hunger Games and stuff like that. They were really that um first catalyst for that. Well now the people who made Hypixel are actually making a game called Hytale. And it's basically taking everything they did for Minecraft and making their own game with everything they thought they could have that could have been with Minecraft. So almost like Minecraft's sequel. And it started, like we said, with just being a community that modded on a different game. Now we're finally starting to see somebody that wants to create their own game completely from the ground up. Well, going back to another game that we talked about, uh, Rocket League. The Psionics, they were originally a part of um, Epic, I believe. And they did work on Unreal Tournament 2004. Yes. They were they were a contractor brought in uh, to do a specific game mode in the multiplayer that was you know specifically built around vehicles. And so a lot of their early experience was in, you know, online multiplayer and vehicles they did stuff for i think they did gears of war they did part of the multiplayer for gears of war 3 uh, i think they worked a little bit for halo but they were basically just like a small like modding company i guess for lack of a better term yeah but they it, it was a, a subcontractor that they brought in to help work out the kinks in their systems and they ended up you know creating their own company and you know building rocket league out of vehicles and you know multiplayer online how they got their start with Unreal Tournament 2004 to give you an, an idea of how long Rocket League 
like that team has been around. Yeah, it's weird to think how 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 often and how much that's happened throughout the years. Like a lot of people don't know that um John Carmack and all them got together and made Mario 3 for the for the for for the PC. Ah, and, I see you've seen the Gaming Historian's latest Yes, the Gaming Historian's <laughs> video. Excuse me, I learned the story in the book Masters of Doom. And I read it in <laughs> Masters of Doom as well. Uh, yeah, no, I, they, uh, they went and tried to make it, and Nintendo was like, whatever, yeah, dorks. They're like, nah, no, we're good, but uh, then they made it out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. and what a significant thing to come from it. Like, an, another, an, an, Can you another imagine set Doom of, can you imagine Doom on the Nintendo? I mean, like it is. If, like, no, I mean, like, if it had come out on the original NES. Oh, original Doom on the original NES. Yeah, like, back then, like, John Carmack um, and John Romero, if they all ended up working for Nintendo. That'd be crazy. Instead of starting id. Like, imagine that alternate Wolfenstein timeline. on Think about that one, NES. Uncle Nintendo. Email me back. <laughs> Email Anyone me, with but, a time machine. But no, machine. you can draw a direct lineage between these guys just trying to, like, make Mario 3 on PC, like, with computers they stole from work for a weekend, uh, straight to the Oculus Rift. Yep. Like, that's crazy to me. Yep. Yeah. So. Absolutely crazy. So, basically, like, here's the question that we want to answer. Game of the decade. Is it option A? Marlo Briggs and the Mask of Death, <laughs> or is it option B, Fallout 76? Marlo Briggs. Marlo Briggs. I got to Marlo Briggs. Given those two options, it's got to be Marlo Briggs. <laughs> so I do have one last question for you guys, and I didn't, I, you know, we kind of had everything prompted ahead of time, what we wanted to talk about, but this one I'm kind of throwing at them last minute. Oh, what wonderful. Is, what is something you want to see happen or see advance in the next decade? I want to see more hmm. love put into video games. Uh, like, passion. People who, who care about the things that they're doing instead of, like, corporations trying to grind out a book. Uh, I, I want to see people who want to be involved in the industry just for the sake of making a good game. And I want to see those good games get made. Will it happen? Nah. But it doesn't hurt the dream. <laughs> wow. The money's not in it. Fetist, man. The money's not in it. If the money shifts that way, if, if indie games end up becoming, like, get pushed in that direction, then they're not going to be indie games anymore. Then once they the money become the developer. Well, I, I think once... we'll expect some of them will, will like get called up to the big leagues, right? And uh, they'll probably get stale and, and, like, the cyclical nature of things will stand out. But uh, I bet there will still be, like, other people who pop out of the woodwork with their idea. And in that, I have a great deal of confidence. Yeah. Yes. Like, uh, I, I think I see more good love. games are too... They're, they're too good to stop, man. <laughs> what about you, Pat? Hmm. What do I want to see in the next decade? Mm-hmm. Another ten versions of Skyrim. <laughs> yes, dude, that is that's the change we really need. Is none was, at all. That was the answer Just I was looking for every year. Mm-hmm. 
Can we get Skyrim 76? <laughs> Don't we have that? Isn't that just Elder Scrolls Online? It is. Oh, <laughs> good point, good point. Like, isn't there that clip of you playing ESO, Frank, and then just you, like, running on top of your horse? Yes. <laughs> Great when dream. Was, Great dream fix. That's my, um, uh, my epic... That was when I was singing my epic horse song. Ba 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 ba. It's my epic horse song. Um, I think the thing I want to see come out of this next decade, and I think you know we touched on it a little bit, is I think with the new Half Life game coming out and everything, I want to see more focus get put on VR and see where that can take us. Take that new medium and try to take it that next step and see what comes of it. I think VR is neat, but I feel like there are other things that can be done as well. Like, I, Have we seen any games that, for instance, use like two form factors simultaneously? Uh, as an example... Uh, a concept that never really came to fruition was with Metal Gear Solid Five. There was with the tablet. idea that on a tablet you could have the map and you could use that almost like a Wii U kind of like, you know, open menu right in front of you without opening your menu in game. Like you could call on airstrikes at places and things like that. And like I, I wonder if, for instance, something could be done with that. Uh, or, or maybe some kind of combination of things I haven't even thought of yet, honestly. Well, they, they tried what if to they had a device like that. that you could, like, bop it and, like, spin it and pull it? <laughs> oh. They tried to do something similar to that with uh, with Fallout 4 with uh, Fallout Shelter. Yeah. Yeah, Where you, they tried you to basically, incorporate like, them. You tried to, uh, you can manipulate your inventory in-game, like, in Fallout 4 by using Fallout Shelter. But, uh, like, unrelated question... Are we just letting Pat's answer of 10 more re-releases of Skyrim stand? Like, yes. <laughs> that we, was okay. about as legitimate of an answer as we could get. No. Okay. I, ju I just wanted to make sure. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> I set reasonable expectations. <laughs> and, and I will undoubtedly be satisfied in my desire to see more Skyrims. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure we were, we were letting that stand. Okay. They're going to release that shit on Google Glass. They're going to release it on, like, I don't know, the endless pool that people have. You know those stupid things, right? They're going to release it on Peloton. I want, <laughs> I want, I want Smell-O-Vision. Put it on Smell-O-Vision. Now you can smell like a Nord. Yeah, that's what I want. I want Smell-O-Vision. You'll see what I see. I don't want to smell like what I defile. Eat who I eat. <laughs> But what would be your thing that you would want to see for uh, the next for the next decade, or where would you like to see the the the? I guess I don't I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Yeah. I th I think I'd just like to see a continuation of original concepts. Uh, I I really like the indie games. Uh, sometimes I feel like they get a little too caught in the trends. Uh, this is this is a small sin, uh, you know, but like. The scene gets really caught up in, like, for instance, Metroidvanias or roguelikes, and I feel like the you know they're only just kind of scratching the surface of concepts that they can free from uh, bigger studios. So I'm I'm excited to see what people come up with. Okay. This this was a 
this is a chunky one. This is a chunky one, but I also think it, it it's one of my favorites. It's definitely one of my favorites because it's, uh, you know, you kind of got to the heart of all three of us and what kind of molds us as gamers in the last decade. Yeah. And, and yeah. the last decade was, was huge for, like, games in general. So, of course, it's going to be, be big for gamers. Yeah. But there was there was a lot of impact that uh, this decade had on me in terms of gaming and it was it was a good one. I, I would put it as an overall positive. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think that there was a a a lot of positive and a lot of negative overall in the scene. Uh, but like it's it's become so big that I don't really feel attached to a lot of what what people would call gaming. Like it, I I don't feel like it really reflects on me or or impacts me. So. You know, I'm I'm content to just like accept the good. Like it, it was a good decade, a lot of good games. And I don't I don't feel like you know there's some kind of turn here where we're going towards something necessarily better or worse. I I think that like now that smaller developers have like seen that they can do it, we're going to be fine indefinitely. Basically, it's going to be great forever. Are you telling com. me you are not afraid of doom? No, uh, I'm sure they'll make another one though. Okay, Doom Eternal <laughs> is coming out in 2020. So there wait, that you game's go, not everybody. out yet. No, <laughs> dude, this is like the third time that it's mentioned. I'm like, uh, I thought that game came out like a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't come out yet. That's dude, how you know you're looking forward to it. You're like, I feel like it's been like 10 years since everybody pissed their pants over that trailer and whether or not it was political. Maybe. <laughs> Did they piss anyway. their pants over the politics of it? <laughs> I don't. I don't smell any politics here. Just a lot of pee. Just a lot, Just of, pee. A lot of pee. Um, you beat me to it. But it was a. It was a wonderful discussion. It was an awesome year. Because it's kind of the wrap up of the year as well. Yeah. Uh we're all still alive. We're all still alive. We made it. Yeah. We did it. And we'll all be dead someday. But thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a wonderful <laughs> holiday. And I will catch you on the next one. Whatever time it happens to be, wherever it is you happen to be, I hope you have a good one. You're dead to me. God damn it, Pat. <laughs> <laughs>